Well, it was about uh, five years ago when we were in the design phase of this building. Uh, one of the things that we wanted for this building to do was, uh, as we said, we wanted for it to preach. We wanted for it to preach. We wanted the outside of the building. We wanted the inside of the building to preach. Fast forward five years, and, um, and the walls of this building are preaching. Um, in fact, when you enter this building, you are greeted by our four uh, ministry pillars, uh, unashamed adoration, unapologetic preaching, unafraid witness, unceasing prayer. Those are the foundational pillars of this church. And frankly, in some shape, manner, form, those should be the foundational pillars of any gospel-centered church. Um, then you walk in here to the worship center, and over the last six weeks, you've been greeted by our three W's, worship Christ, a walk with Christ, and a work for uh, the glory of Christ. Uh, and these last six Sundays have been about reconfirming and resecuring who we are and what we do as a church, and why the need for that? Well, because as already been noted, we're coming upon, starting next Sunday, uh, and really the second Sunday of March is the official 10 years uh, as a church, and we're celebrating that, and we're coming upon this time to where, um, as I mentioned last Sunday, I believe, history shows that people and leaders, as time moves on, has a tendency to forget who they are and what they are really all about. They get distracted, they get pulled away, they get teased away by all kinds of other shiny objects uh, that are about from the central thing. In fact, uh, on my office wall um, are uh, my kids, um, if you will. On the, uh, as, a, as a pastor, as a preaching pastor, uh, these are just about all of the sermon series, not quite all of them, but most of the sermon series that I've preached over the last 10 years. Um, I'll note that in the top left corner there, the one that's uh, got the white box around, it's highlighted was uh, the update cover from our very first three weeks as a church in the theater some 10 years ago, and it's a red carpet, like at a theater red carpet event. What took place those first three Sundays? Well, those first three Sundays of our church, I preached the three W's of who we are and uh, what we do here. Why was that? Well, because at that time, 10 years ago, people were asking uh, Okay, you're this little thing in this cute little theater thing. Uh, who are you and what do you do? And we thought, let's just go from the very beginning, who we are and what we do. And so we did. Uh, ten years and about a thousand voices later, uh, who we are and what we do is the same. Well, for you to know that, uh, while certain things have changed like the building and maybe there's more people sitting around you than from that, those first three weeks... We have the same heart things. And, and, and here's the deal. Uh, as time goes along, it's easy to become off-center of the central thing. It's easy to get teased away, and, and we don't want to do that. So uh, we've been using this series to remind ourselves who we are and what we do, and I just thought it was important to let you know that it was 10 years ago we were talking about the same thing with that. Well, last Sunday, it was work for the glory of Christ, kind of part one, this is who we are. Uh, today is work for the glory of Christ, part two, this is what we do. 
Um, I just want for you to know, I'm great with gospel-centered churches doing ministry form differently and uniquely. I'm great with that. In fact, I don't think that there is an exact form uh, in Scripture of exactly how churches are supposed to do some things, and I think God was very wise in not putting that there. Um, I will say this, though. As time goes on and I'm more involved in ministry... I question whether most local churches know with clarity really who they are. Um, Frankly, I think the the default is when asking who they are, it's kind of like, uh, well, uh, we do blank because, well, that's what we've always done. And that's okay, but I will say this. As time goes on, observation Churches structure themselves more and more to get busy, 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 doing more and more and more and more things. There's just a way about that that happens, and, 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 and frankly, it's kind of set up this idea in most uh, Christians' mindset that they're looking for a church that is busy, 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 because in our culture, busy is better, supposedly. Martha, Martha. You are busy, 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 but you are missing the one thing, Luke chapter 10. So as far as we, what we do here at Harvest, <clears throat> straight up, I would kind of term it here as uh, we hold strong to strategic simplicity, strategic simplicity. Now, I realize that some might be able to be saying that, well, that's just kind of some fancy words for saying, really, guys, that you have no idea what you're doing. Um, or you're without direction, or you kind of do lazy ministry, or maybe you're reactionary ministry, or uh, because, uh, uh, frankly, strategic simplicity flies in the face of busy is better, everything for everyone. Um, But said simply from a ministry functioning standpoint, we want those who call Harvest their church home really just to do three things. I mean, it's this simple. Worship. We would like for you to regularly and consistently be a part of weekend services here where we want to take you to the Lord together. Secondly, walk with Christ. We would like for you to be a part of a small group. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, Because that's where life is done. Honestly, it's less about the content. It's more about, in our culture, being able to do life together with some people. Worship Christ, walk with Christ. And the third thing, work for Christ. We'd love for you to be serving on a ministry team on the weekends. That's it. Now, I'll fill a couple things in here. Uh, But here's what I want to do. With that kind of put on the table, I really want to take the next 25 minutes and I kind of want to talk from the scriptures, boots on the ground ministry, okay? Last time was kind of big picture. The the Lord is at work. Uh, uh, We are created to work. And we are called to work. Work is not a bad word. Uh, The Lord works. And so in this here, what I want to do is I want to take about 25 minutes here. And uh, in fact, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And uh, and then I'm going to finish with kind of three statements that I think, personally, just really define when it talks about work, um, what's going on in our minds. My goal is for you today to walk out of here kind of understanding what's in the elders and the pastors, what's in the leader, leadership's minds here. Now, I realize that's a scary thought. 
Um, but I want for you to know that. And, uh, and, uh, and even if you differ on some of what we're going to talk about here uh, in some of the form of it, that's okay. That's okay. But I just want for you to know how we're thinking and how we see some things. And frankly, I don't think this is a conversation churches have very often, if ever. And so I'm really excited about being able to talk with you about this, uh, with what's going on. So what and why do we do what we do here? Uh, well, let's begin in Genesis 1, and I want to begin with God's mindset regarding ministry, kind of boots on the ground from the very get-go. Let me read verses 27 and the beginning of 28. I did last Sunday as well. Um, uh, Genesis 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over. We talked about that last Sunday. Adam and Eve are directed to multiply, to fill, and to steward the earth. Uh, By the way, uh, uh, you and I are probably quick to grab a hold of this in this text uh, and see this kind of this divine job assignment, if I might term it that way. I think we have the tendency to see this as the central thing, as if they do this task, then God will be pleased with them. But I just want to say pause, stop on that for a moment here, because actually I don't think that is the central thing. The central thing is not them multiplying, filling, and, and stewarding. The central thing is them in relationship with God. That's the central thing. And out of the central thing of being in relationship with God, what overflows out of that is the doing of what God would have us do. We don't do to please God. We do out of a place of abiding in the Lord, as we've been talking about over these recent weeks. And their failure was not a failure to do the multiply Phil Stewart thing. By the way, Notice that, Genesis 3, their failure was not to do that. Their failure had to do with the relationship thing. That's what the failure had to do with. The failure had to do with the central thing, not the overflow out of thing. And in Genesis 3, here they are, they're enticed by the idea of something more than an abiding with the Lord relationship. Let me say it this way. The Lord wanted more like them. They wanted more than God. The Lord wanted more like. They wanted more than. There's a big difference. Walking with Christ is easily taken captive by opportunities and activities. And the Godhead says, we want more like you. But in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve respond, no, no, we think we want more than you. So what's really going on here, boots on the ground? The Lord has invited them, called them, to be in relationship with him. And he is, has equipped them to be able to do that. And even in that abiding, the equipping of that, they have been equipped to be able to then be sent out to do. Invite, equip, send out. But what God had for them was not enough. And they got lured away from the central thing. If you just consider Genesis 9 and Noah, God invites Noah and his family into a unique abiding relationship with him that includes a unique task. 
build a giant floating zoo. And he equips them, by the way, for that task. Not only does he tell them the dimensions of it, but he gives them the time of it. Why did God not just drop it right there? He could have. I mean, come on, if he created everything, he could have dropped a boat. But God wanted them engaged in the process of, and God equipped them for that. Genesis 12, Abraham. The Lord invites Abraham and Sarah into a unique abiding relationship with the Lord, and he equips them for that. I will raise a nation from you that will impact the world. And they don't have a child, they don't have a child, they don't have a child. God has not only equipped them, invited them with a call, but God has also then comes to equip them with a child. And the whole idea out of this whole call is to be sending out. Uh, jump ahead to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. In verses 1 through 7, it says that the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. There's like some 2 million Israelites as slaves in Egypt at this time. Listen, God built a nation. Not the way you and I would, but he did. God is moving things somewhere. And, and by the way, uh, God's ministry mindset then turns with the people of Israel. Look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 8, in the burning bush. Uh, God is saying to Moses, hey, I got a job for you. He's like, hey, I wasn't looking for a job. He's like, hey, I got a job anyway. Hey, I don't want to do your job because that's a pretty hard job. That's okay, I'm with you. Verse, chapter 3, verse 8, and God says, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, the Israelites, and to bring them up out of the land where? To a good and Broadland, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, and so forth. Wait, 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 stop. What was God doing? God had already been through this process of building a nation. Not the way I would do it, but the way God would do it. And then God is calling them out to a place. And by the way, that place that God is calling them is for what purpose? We'll turn to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19. He's taking them to a place, why? So that they can camp out, so that they can vacation for the rest of their life with Yahweh. Uh, Exodus chapter 19, they're at Mount Sinai. They've crossed the, uh, the Red Sea. God has done a miracle, brought them out of Egypt. Verse five, chapter 19. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. By the way, that's relationship. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Listen, friends, for me personally, I think this is one of the most important verses in the Bible. Because God is calling a people unto him that are to be unlike the world. Not like the world, unlike the world, and priestly. In other words, they're to stand in the gap. They're to stand in the gap doing what? Inviting, equipping, and sending out. That's what the Israelites are called to do. And God gave them a sending base place to be able to do that. And he's inviting them, he's equipping them, and he's sending them to a place so that when they get there, as they are invited and equipped in that place, they would then send out from there. Uh, turn further to the right to Joshua. Uh, just a few books over in the Bible. Joshua chapter 1. <clears throat> 
God is bringing them to the place. It's interesting. Did you watch the biathletes in the, in the Olympics, you know, where they're doing the cross-country screen and they're shooting the targets? I love that. Favorite part of the Olympics for me. And the part, you know when they miss the target and they got to go do a loop? Yeah, you know, God said, listen, I want to raise you up to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Yeah, they missed that target, kind of with the whole golden calf thing and like stuff like that. And so what did God do? God said, okay, I'm going to put you like in a 40-year little circle here for a while till, till all of you at the time die off. And then the next generation, all of them come out of that circle and, and go on. God doesn't give up on them. And so here they are, Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Moses, Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, rise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, and into the land I am giving them to the people of Israel. Again, God is bringing them to this place. And then go to the end of Joshua, Joshua 24. Appreciate you flipping here for a little bit. Joshua 24. Uh, It's been about a decade of time since Joshua chapter 1. They are now in the promised land. They they just about, uh, they have a good part of the promised land taken. And and Joshua 24 verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and with faithfulness. That's the call. You, You see, friends, because when God's people are focused on Serving him with sincerity and in faithfulness, God will do a work out of them. And once again, we see this from Genesis 1 all the way through. God calls people. He invites them. And God equips them, whether that's with a unique task, whether that's growing them for that task, preparing them for that task. And then God is all about sending them out, even Adam and Eve. It's not just about you and Eden. Even before sin came along, it's I want more like you. All over the earth with this. God is in this consistent boots on the ground, inviting and equipping and sending out reality. Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. By the way, that's fulfilling the Exodus 19 call. I want my people to be a priestly people. A set-apart people. Not just unto yourselves, but unto the world. From Genesis chapter 1 all the way through, it keeps going. But what happens one page over in the book of Judges? Remember when we went through the book of Judges? Ay, 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 ay. The book of Judges, what a depressing book. The book of Judges is all about leadership distracted from the central thing. Let me say that again. You just saw one pages where God is saying, follow me with sincerity and faithfulness and I will do a work out of you. Turn the page and we have a long period of time where leaders after leaders after leaders after leaders are distracted from that. Judges 17, 6 and 21, 25 sums the book up. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Adam and Eve did what was right in their own eyes. They got distracted, lured away. The Israelites did what was right in their own eyes when they built a calf 
after Mo was up on the mountain for 40 days. And they got distracted. God's leaders and judges got distracted. And that's just a trait. You see in Matthew 7, uh, where the people are saying, but, but, but I know you, and, and Jesus saying, no, no, no I, I don't know you, and, and they're c- coming back saying, yeah, but we've served you, we've done this even in your name, but I don't know you. Busy, 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 active, but off-center. Martha, Martha, Martha. You're anxious and distracted by many things, Luke 10. But you are missing the one thing. Martha, you're not doing wrong things, but you are missing the one thing. Because the many things, can th- we can think that they substitute the one thing and they don't. Why am I going through all of this? I'm wanting to show that God's people from the very beginning when sin came into the picture are easily lured and distracted away. And God wants the center thing to be the center thing. We can get so active in working for the Lord that we think that is walking with the Lord. And we think that quantifies worship of the Lord. But it's the other way. The doxology thing, the worship of the Lord, is about an abiding thing, walking with Christ. And in the abiding thing, out of that overflows a working for the glory of Christ. Invite, equip, send out. By the way, just two last items quickly with that. Jesus. I finished last Sunday by noting that uh, at the bottom of your notes last Sunday that I'm going to be making reference to him, and so I am here. What did Jesus do? How did Jesus do the work of ministry? Three things, if I could sum it up. He invited Matthew 4, 19, follow me. And when you carry that idea throughout the whole gospel, all four of the gospels, you see Jesus is constantly inviting people, calling them, come unto me, come unto me, come unto me. He is the good news. He is the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the gospel. And he's calling them and inviting them and inviting them. But Matthew 4, 19 also carries that second idea. Not only does he invite them, but he equips them. Follow me and I will make you. I will make you fishers of men. And you see that all throughout. What does he do with the disciples? They're just following him. Uh, They they didn't even have a regular like Bible study program of any kind that we know of. Nothing's wrong with that. But we just don't see anything like that. He's just doing life with them. He invited and he equipped them. By the way, Matthew 9, 35 to 38, Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Listen, the opportunities are endless with the gospel to the harvest. The issue is the laborers doing that, the gospel to the harvest. 
And so what's his strategy? He invites and equips. And then he sends them out. Therefore, go and make disciples, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, and I will be with you always. Acts 1, 8, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, and it starts locally and then moves on out. How did Jesus do ministry? Friends, I, I would suggest strategic simplicity. And you go through and you work out how Christ did ministry. Those who are in the small groups or are doing the master plan book, you're going to see it. It was incredibly simple. He just invited people and then he equipped them and then he sent them out. And he didn't have to even manage where they sent them out to. He didn't have spreadsheets. We know nothing about even telling them what section of the world to go to. He's just like this. Hey, I know this. If you abide in me and you grow in me and you are equipped by the word of God, the power of the spirit of God, I just know this. It'll happen. So just go. Just go and it'll, it'll go. By the way, I might suggest how did the Pharisees do ministry? I would suggest measured activity. You know, always measuring things. Do numbers matter? Sure they do. They really do matter. Because people matter. But they don't quantify. And it doesn't even at times justify. It isn't about the numbers, it's about people. And friends, I'm just speaking from my heart today. I am really concerned that local churches today are actually looking more like pharisaical mindsets with measured activity as opposed to strategic simplicity. Finally, I'll add Paul. How did Apostle Paul do ministry as a leader? Gee, I wonder if he's going to bring up 1 Thessalonians 2.8. Yeah. 1 Thessalonians 2.8. How did Paul do ministry? Strategically simple. We loved you so much That was a theology, by the way. He didn't even know the Thessalonians. They weren't his BFFs. They weren't following him on Twitter or nothing. He just loved people. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. That is one of the most crazy statements in all of Scripture. And I say that because the Apostle Paul is saying not only the gospel of God. By that way, that meant the gospel of God. But not only that. It was the gospel of God and their life. Both of those together. Out of a love for people, he shared the gospel and his life. That's strategic simplicity. That's ministry wrapped up right there. And I would add, would everybody turn to Ephesians chapter 4? Paul gives a call to leadership, and I'll finish this part with that. What is the central thing for church leadership? I would suggest Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 tells us. Paul says, giving instruction to the church in Ephesus, and he, the Lord, gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers... By the way, I'm not going to go into all, each of those. It's not important for this conversation. But I just want to note that. Note diversity. Unity and diversity. Different giftedness. Different calls in it. And it's unified. 
And he gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to do what? To equip. To equip who? The saints. To do what? For the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to measure to the measure of the, full, of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is church leadership supposed to do? Equip the saints for the work of ministry? No, I thought they're supposed to do the ministry. No, actually, no. Our work of ministry is you. Equipping the saints to do the work of ministry. And what's that for? To build up the body of Christ. To maturity in Christ. That's the thing. That's the thing. That's the leadership thing. And yeah, I'm really cranked up. That's the leadership thing. That is strategic simplicity. Let me just say it straight up this way. What are the pastors of this church supposed to do? We are supposed to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. I thought you're supposed to do the work of the ministry. No, wrong. We are to equip you. We are to invite and call you to that. We are to equip you for that, and we send you out. But I thought you're supposed to manage all that. No! That's what's so awesome about this job. Hey, as someone uh, with a background of 20 years as a lay person in your seat, in my past, and then moving into uh, uh, vocational ministry, straight up, on this side of the fence now, I am very concerned that church leadership tends to look and sound more like business entrepreneurs building self-kingdoms than priestly shepherding pastors. Priestly shepherding pastors, just be gracious with me on using that priestly Old Testament idea of calling people, inviting people back to the central thing and equipping them and sending them out. When lives become lists, when souls become spreadsheets, when people become processes and cues, when names become numbers, when ministry becomes managing and promoting activities and programs, when his kingdom becomes a self-kingdom, it's time to quit and or close the doors. And straight up, God's people have been taught over recent decades to expect God's leaders to, as Eugene Peterson says, the vocational pastor has been replaced by the strategies of religious entrepreneurs with business plans. So I am saying here today, publicly as we enter into the next 10 years, that the central thing for the pastors and the elders here at this church are to be about calling people unto the Lord and equipping people unto the Lord and sending them out. That's our thing. 
And I realize uh, that means that we're not going to have a list that's as cool and awesome to be able to compare to some other churches. And I'm good with that. Because we are here to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. That's what this is about. And the fact is, as we as leaders, and the fact is, as we as non-leaders, if you will, in pastoring and eldering capacities, not in that capacity, we are easily lured away. And our job is to call back. Come back. Keep the central thing the thing. Listen, I've got 10 years left in ministry, and that's the thing I want to be about. That's the thing I want to be about. I want to call people back and equip people and send them out. Our job is the central thing of all eyes on Jesus. Okay? Oh, sorry. Three things with that said. Three central things, if I were to use three statements regarding what work for Christ is here in the mindset of leaders. That's the foundation. Now here's three things. We are about raising disciples that make disciples. That's what we're about. We raise disciples that make disciples. That's what we do. We don't always do it well, but we're only 10 years old. And we're learning. We're growing. We're trying to figure this out. But I want for you to know we are about raising disciples that make disciples. That includes here on the weekends as we gather together. In church terminology, we are not a seeker church. Listen, we welcome and we invite all seeking the Lord and who have questions about the Lord. Amen? Amen. Everybody is welcome here. Everybody is welcome here. But I just want for you to know straight up on the table, the people that is first and foremost in my mind, when I preach, when we do Sundays here, the thing that is first and foremost on my mind is equipping the saints with God's word by the spirit of God to grow in the Lord and to abide in him. That's the thing. Calling back every week. Every week is about a recentering time. Back to the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, because we are here to worship Christ. It's about a doxology thing. That's the first thing, that's the first thing, that's the last thing. Amen. We are about abiding in Christ here, understanding what that is, coming to know Christ as your Savior. And growing in the Lord. That's what we're about here. We're about raising disciples to make disciples. By the way, that includes in our children's ministries. Our children's ministries, we don't babysit. We're raising little disciples. If you serve in children's ministries, thank you. In fact, would you put your hand up? Just just encourage one another. If you serve in children's ministries, just put your hands up. and, and um, Yeah. Thank you. It's tough loving on those little boogers, isn't it? So many other things you could do on a Sunday morning. Quick little my story. Fifteen years ago, I was hired as an assistant pastor, oversee some things, and two weeks into that job, um, a senior pastor came to me and said, hey, Doug, um, 
I was wondering if you'd also be willing to add into your job description of what you do uh, to oversee our kindergarten through sixth grade children's ministries on Sundays. This is a church of that time, about 1,200. I'm like, I'm like, Steve, man, I, I love you. But are you really kidding me? I seriously, I thought he was punking me as I was just new, and he wasn't. Steve didn't punk a whole lot. And uh, I did. I did that. I didn't want to. Because kids are not my thing. But the Lord knew that I needed it. Probably some of my great, greatest ministry experience was that. I came to learn the importance of children's ministries. I came to learn how hard it is. I came to learn how valuable it is. If you want to know how to disciple someone, get involved in kids. Because that's real discipleship. Long haul. Here we champion children's ministry. I'll just note this. We began uh, as a church. We began uh, at this church of uh, mandating children's ministry to our launch team and everything. Just a second here. And uh, everybody was required to serve. And then as time went on, if you remember, you're expected to serve in children's ministry. And I think some of that continues. But I want for you to know this. We don't expect you. We don't mandate you to serve in children's ministry at this point. I just want to say that publicly. But do know this. Oh, we champion it. And I mean this seriously. If I could, I would be involved. Because of what I've learned in kids' ministries. To see couples, husbands with wives serving in children's ministry. It is unlike anything I've seen before. Because children aren't about my thing. Children are our thing in this building. Your children are here. They are the first ones we need to disciple. Even if it's not my thing, it's our thing. And if you're not serving in kids' ministries, I want to champion you, encourage you to consider it because they are God's thing and this church's thing. Here, as we gather, children's ministry, student ministries, my goodness, thank you. We have like over 100 kids every week coming to student ministries and what's going on, Pastor Cody and the adult leaders and that. Thank you so much. Listen, I want for you to know with our children's ministry, we may not be the coolest children's ministry on the planet, and we may not teach your children how to, like, shove whipped cream up their nose and do things like that on it, but I do want for you to know this at the heart of it all. Listen, I'm great with fun, but when it comes down to it, we want for your kids to be able to uh, be discipled along in the Lord. That's what we want to have happen here. We want to raise little disciples. We want to raise teen disciples. In small groups, we push small groups here. We push them hard. 
Because that one, that's a place where so many of you can serve as small group leaders. One of the smartest, hardest jobs here is to be a small group leader because you're involved with people and you're trying to figure out how to help them. And isn't it true every week when you get done, you're like, oh, I'm horrible at this. Yeah, you know. And it's true, it's hard. Listen, small groups here are not about, hey, we're going to try and hook you up so you can find your hobby buddies or the ones just like you to be your BFFs who are the same economic status and interest status. Honestly, that's not, that's not even on our mind. We just want you with people that you can do life with. Because if Paul could love people he didn't even know personally, so can we. And that's what's going on there. Honestly, it's not even about the content first. Remember, we have the four pillars. We are all about biblical content. But in it at the same time, we want this to be about people doing life together in it all. We raise disciples and make disciples. That is on our mind. Secondly, I'll say this. We plant and strengthen churches. That's what we do here. We have a very high view of the local church. In a day and age where uh, many kind of are out on the local church, we're not out on the local church at all. And I've said before that when Jesus gets out on the local church, then it's okay for us to be out on the local church. But as far as I know, Jesus is not out on the local church. In fact, Jesus still has the exact same objective with the local church. That is the central arm of his expansion of the gospel is through the local church. And local church matters. We have a very high view of that. And and we plant churches. That's one of the things we do here. Listen, uniquely churches plant churches. And I don't say that just because we're a church plant, but because from the very beginning we've planned to plant churches. We've prayed to be able to plant churches. This is a thing here that we do. We are about planting churches We've served lead as the church plant uh, in Harvest Bloomington. We were just with Josh and Rachel this week, and just so cool what the Lord's doing there. Served as the lead church plant with Harvest Indy South. Oh, my. What is, pray for Brock. There are over 800 people, and they're only two years old. Um. We've served as lead for Harvest Georgetown St. Vincent Island that launched in November just with Misha and Monique this week. We launched Harvest Quad Bouquet in Haiti in January. And by the way, I don't say any of that to go, aren't we awesome? I'm just wanting for you to know what's going on here. As a church, this is a big deal to us. And part of this is I realize for you this may not be quite as much you feel all in on what's all going on with that. But part of what's happening here is just a 10-year-old church. We're learning how to do this. We're trying to figure it out even as staff, as pastors and elders. But I want for you to know this, that, that you are going to be more in on this as time goes on. Because my dream is that we would have more churches planted and strengthening churches around the world that we have increasing partnerships with that you and I can be able to go to and not just be a blessing to them, but frankly for them to bless us. Because Americans have this isolated view of what's going on in ministry around the world. And, oh, I have a dream that, that sounds familiar, I I have a dream that we plant in Scotland, a dream that we plant or or strengthen a church, partner with a church in in Africa and in, in Central or South America or over in Asia 
Uh, struggle. Do you realize this? Last week, we were down at the Gospel uh, Great Commission Collective. Uh, 117 Harvest churches are a part of this. And sitting here is St. Vincent Island. Sitting here is a couple pastoring a church in Rwanda, Africa. Sitting over here is a guy who's from Australia, planting a church in Australia. Over there is Mexico City. In the very room, I'm telling you, we've got it right at our hands that we can be able and send you and I out on trips. Uh, to be able to learn from them and minister with them and be changed by it. Listen, that's what we do here. That's a big deal. We raise disciples that make disciples. Oh, I'm so excited. And we plant and strengthen churches. And lastly, we send you. We send you. That is what we do here. I am so thankful for so many of you serving the Lord for his glory in all kinds of ways beyond these walls. We have people serving as police chaplains in discipleship counseling. We have people in orphanages serving them in food pantries, prison incarceration ministries, Operation Christmas Child, serving refugees, exchange students, medical ministry and missions, adoption and foster care, biblical translation, serving in our schools, leading Bible studies at work and in their schools, in neighborhoods, teaching, coaching, mentoring at schools, leading prayer groups, uh, serving at summer camps, serving at sheltering wings and life centers, and it goes on. If I didn't mention your thing, don't get upset. And it just goes on and on and on. We have people serving on the east side of Indianapolis, the west side of Indianapolis. We have people who are serving that has to do with the Middle East and Guatemala and Merge, Haiti and Alaska. And it just goes on and on. And here, I want for you to know this. Thank you. We champion that. And you need to know this. We don't have to put our name on it. And we don't have to manage it and organize it or promote it. Not that we're against any of that. The promote part. Listen, we are for this. Go, we send you. You have full empowerment. Go serve. And this church, we don't have to have our name on it. That's just not a deal to us. There are some fantastic organizations around doing some things. Why do we have to redo what they're doing? How about we cheerlead them on? And yet churches just got this thing where they got to have their name on it. Ay, 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 it just bores me and frustrates. Can you tell? We champion calling and equipping you. That's what we champion. We champion the calling and equipping of you. And I want for you to know we champion sending you out. I alluded to earlier before, I just don't see in Scripture where Jesus had to have, if you will, uh, it all organized and managed by him. He just said, go. Just go and make disciples. Just go. Pastor Nate's going to be here shortly, going to be having more information about our international go trips this summer. 
we'd love for you to participate. But at the same time, if you don't go, there's no guilt. But goodness sakes, we would love to have you be a part of those. Because the Lord's Great Commission thing is about a body of Christ thing. That's all about the Lord's doxology thing. We champion sending you out. Let me finish with this, okay? Five be carefuls in the sending out. I want you to hear me very clearly on these early statements. This is coming from the heart and the mind of most senior pastors, okay? from our seat, from our perspective. And please know that I am not talking to anyone but to everyone, including myself on this, okay? This is not pastor going after something or someone. This is some things I've learned. Five, be careful. Number one, be careful with ministry math, that bigger is better. By the way, if that's true, then Jesus' ministry was a failure, you thought about that? Christ dies on the cross, rises from the dead. He's got 11 shaking guys and about 100 other people who are there. And seriously, if it's by the numbers, Jesus' ministry was a failure. But it's not about the numbers. It's about faithfulness. By the way, ministry math fosters self-kingdoms. And ministry math fosters ministry envy. They have more than I do. Ay, ay, ay. By the way, that leads to the next one, ministry idolatry. Be careful with ministry idolatry. idolatry. Ken Sand in his book, A Peacemaking Family, talks about the progression of an idol. I desire, I demand, I judge, I punish. This is just in any of our lives with what happens. Like, Let me give you an example. I desire to be loved. That's a good thing. No, I demand to be loved. Okay, we've just kind of crossed the line. Uh, Because uh, I'm not getting that love, I'm going to judge that person. You're not a good Christian at all. Then I'm going to punish them. You pick the punishment. Carry this over into ministry. I'm picking an odd one. I do ministry making kites for Kentuckians because it helps them come to know Christ in some way. Hey, that's a great thing. I demand. By the way, others should be making kites for Kentuckians. In fact, really, everybody should be. Mm. Hey, others aren't making kites for Kentuckians. They really don't love Jesus or Kentuckians. I punish. I'm not going to have anything to do with those people who don't make kites for Kentuckians because obviously they don't love Jesus or Kentuckians. In fact, I'm going to call them apostate. I'm telling you, friends, that happens in ministry all the time. And I might even say, be careful, it doesn't happen with you and with me. Be careful with ministry idolatry. Third, be careful with ministry individualism, ministry isolation. Um, It's just we get in our own little isolation booths that can include those with common spiritual gifts all cluster together. Those with the gifts of compassion cluster with the people with the gifts of compassion. Those who cluster, those who have the gift of teaching cluster with the 
those with the gifts of teaching, those who are gifted in evangelism, cluster with those in evangelism, and we lose the idea that we have been made a body of unique parts and unique giftedness. And don't lose sight of the biblical centrality of the local church and local church leadership in it all. The local church is the beachhead for the expansion of Christ's name. Just look in the book of Acts and the epistles. Don't get isolated. Fourth, last two, be careful with ministry affirmation. I've already kind of alluded to it regarding churches. They want their name on it. And they want to pad themselves in it. Or something else. Be careful as individuals just wanting know, others to know what we do and have them or leaders, you know, acknowledge that. By the way, again, I'm going to say it again. I'm not talking to anyone. I'm talking to everyone. Loved ones, doing ministry is lonely and unappreciated. And that doesn't mean you need to send me an email this week. It's a fact of ministry. This is the loneliest job I've ever done in my whole life. Ministry is lonely. Ministry is unappreciated. And that's okay. Be careful with ministry promoting. Specifically talking about using the local church to promote your thing. First, be an active part and participant of a good local church and allow the Lord to work through that. Don't use the local church as your drawing pool for your thing so much. It's fine if others become a part of it, but that's, it's not a drawing pool. Just boldly and lovingly, the elders, the pastors, and the staff are happy to try and connect you with ministry opportunities and people, and we're going to seek to do a better job at, at that. But that's not the main thing that we're about. We are about calling you and equipping you. That's what we're about. And there's a tendency with ministry things to, to, to see that that's our central job. And I just lovingly, that's not. It's just not. It's coming from the heart of most every senior pastor, not talking to anyone but everyone, including myself. We raise disciples that make disciples. We plant and strengthen churches. And we send you. Go. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men, Jesus said. And he did, and he sent them out. And look what happened. The world has been changed. Serve where your faith family needs you. Serve where your ministry passions reside. We champion that. We champion that. Thank you for your extended time this morning on this this is uh, important stuff. And may we be united together, serving the Lord in all kinds of ways and creative ways for his glory, right? Amen. For his glory. And Lord, we uh, stop there. And we stop there with a the confidence of knowing that the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and that you will do a work with us. God, if there's anything I've said that has been off, would you please just erase that from our memories, take that away? But God, I just pray out of this that there would be increased clarity and understanding in a day and age what a church is about. This is a centering point. This is what we want to do here. We want to drive 
people and call people to you. We want to be a place that is about the word of God, where the spirit of God is active in the people of God. And every week we come back all because of a doxology thing for the glory of you. And in that, an abiding thing that we would, we would drive ourselves towards deepening ourselves in you, knowing this, that as we go deeper in you, that things will overflow and happen out of that. The, the work doesn't have to be contrived. The work just happens. The fruit just grows. God, I would pray for more of that in us. Would you help me as a, as a pastor? Would you help us as pastors and elders and people here in this church to better understand what it is to abide in you for your glory? God, what it is to drill into you and to secure ourselves in you increasingly. So, oh God, help us with that. And Lord, the reality is, as it comes down to ministry is very simple strategically simple. And may we cheer each other on as we dive into you and pursue after you. And may we cheer each other on and out of that where we, we have passions and desires to serve you in unique and creative ways. Oh God, may we cheer each other on. May it not be a competition of ministry. Oh, spare us from that, God. But may it be joyful and celebratory and rejoicing and delightful and Christ-honoring as a body uniquely together serving you out of an abiding relationship with you. Because it is all about you. And so we go. In Christ's name. Amen.